By the way, Mr. Honeycutt, mm -hmm. there is one other small item I ought to mention to you about the car. Do, do. It's haunted. Haunted? <laughs> you don't say. Oh, yes, without a doubt. The car is quite haunted. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys made it made it back from uh, back there to join us now. Yeah, uh, I I knocked on a door and uh, somehow went a week in the future to a very different episode. Yeah, I knocked on the door. I ended up on the floor for like 15 minutes and I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> um, before we get into the whole truth, I just want to clarify I didn't realize. So we recorded last, uh, like, so I know this is kind of dating it, but we literally recorded uh, on um, November twenty third. Uh, so last week, right? Or no, so, no, it was Wednesday, twenty second. That was the actual anniversary of when Kennedy was assassinated, and it did not occur to me that I was making. We're watching an episode talking about it, about the the prevention of the assassination of Lincoln, and I made a reference to the assassination of Kennedy on the anniversary that it happened and didn't realize like an idiot that I was talking about it like the day that it occurred. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that either. So, yeah. Uh, oops. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's and, my apology. Yeah, and I, I have to apologize. Uh, I, I am sorry that I said I was going to throw children into a hole on the Encounters <laughs> with the Unknown episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I, uh, I, I you. thought you were going to be like, listen, I followed through on my promise. There's seven kids now in a hole somewhere. That would be no, there oh. definitely is not. <laughs> Just, uh, please, please tell me someone was like, hey, like, I know I have small children. Do I have to worry myself around you near some holes? Uh, and no one came up to me, but I realized we have uh, a lot of listeners that have children and uh I don't want my hatred towards uh, children to come through on this. But did I just say that? Ah. Um, oh. I'm not throwing children into holes. I, I apologize for Al my statement. <laughs> Allegedly. So, yeah. All right. But I, I guess I did say like 10 episodes ago I was turning heel. So there you um, go. maybe I will. That would be a good heel turn. Just, just pitch some kids just in a hole <laughs> and just be done with it. Yeah. Where are you um, going with my kid? Uh, you'll get him back one day. One day. <laughs> he's not going to be right, and he's going to spend the rest of his time in a mental hospital, but, you know, or so Sterling says, yeah, whatever. Anyway, enough about that. I need, I need a bigger mustache <laughs> the, before yes. I start throwing kids in holes. <laughs> right? Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either, but I like it. <laughs> so this episode, uh, the whole truth. <laughs> And we're gonna like we're gonna make a promise right now. We're gonna say nothing but honest things about this episode the entire time. Um, you'll see why in a second. Uh, season two, episode fourteen, uh, January twentieth, nineteen sixty one is the air date. Number one song is "Wonderland by Night" by Bert uh, Comfort. I listened to this song. It's a nice little musical bit, and I and it's instrumental. 
And it makes you think of like a theme park at night. And I just can't think of like the last time a, a instrumental was number one. Like that's yeah. that's kind of a rarity. Yeah. Uh, especially carnival music. Could you imagine turning on the radio now? <laughs> yeah. And hear that? It's very as, strange. As long as you had like just like um I don't know, like a dubstep beat with it, I think I'd probably be okay with it. Uh so number one film is still Swiss Family on Robinson. Uh it's you know, th- there's gonna be a number one film coming soon that we're gonna it's gonna be like haunting us for the rest of the the, the season. So just a heads up. <laughs> uh on this date, th- this goes to my apology. On January 20th, 1961, JFK was officially sworn in as the president. That actually ties into the episode. We'll get to it later. Um, so yeah. that's the, that yeah. was the big news of the day. All right. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. We got a uh, first-time Twilight Zone director here. This episode was directed by James Sheldon, who will go on to do five other Twilight Zone episodes. So this won't be the last time we'll uh, speak about him. But this is the first time we've seen him. Uh he directed a ton of television. Um, he had, uh, I think, a couple hundred credits to his name. Yeah. Um, so many TV shows he worked on. But I was really disappointed. Two that he did not work on. Uh, well, three. No <laughs> Super Train. No Hawaiian Eye. And uh, no Johnny Midnight. Right. I was so upset. Like, out of all that television, he didn't touch one. I looked. I looked really hard to try to find... Because you just think, right? Because this guy, it's it's interesting that if someone can direct all his television, but I didn't see a feature film in there. It was just all television. Yeah, there's um, some uh, TV films, but yeah, nothing. It was, it was crazy. Uh, mostly known for Bing Crosby Show and The Millionaire. But yeah, uh, we'll see him. He directs some uh, pretty highly rated episodes later on this season and beyond. So um Next up, this episode was written by Rod Serling. Um, this was uh, interesting backstory as we go through the the plot of this, uh, where some of these ideas came from. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> we'll save that. Yeah. We'll, that's our ace up our sleeve later to explain maybe what has happened here. Yeah, um, so we'll jump into cast here. We have uh, Jack Carson who plays Harvey Honeycutt, who uh, he was a character actor, did a lot of musical and comedy work. Uh, probably his biggest roles are Arsenic and Old Lace, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, uh, Mildred Pierce, a Star is Born. Um, but unfortunately, this was his only Twilight Zone. So he never got a he never got a chance to uh, redeem himself after this. So, yeah, a couple <laughs> things about him. One, weirdly enough, like he's not my problem with the episode. Like I actually. No, he, no he that's, was good. that's what I mean. Yeah. Like I I think he does a good enough job. I just I wish I he got a chance to try out a different type of role on the right? show. So he would die less than two years after this. Like he actually died real quick, like stomach cancer gone. Uh, he was six two. Um, and the reason I mentioned that is because his first stage appearance when he was in college was as Hercules in the midst of a performance. He tripped and took half the set with him. A college <laughs> friend uh, named Dave Willick, Thought it was so funny that he persuaded Carson to team with him as a, as a vaudeville act uh, called Willick and Carson. And a new career was born with a very successful comedy team that played large and small vaudeville theaters everywhere in North America. So the fact so, that he was just like kind of a bowl in a china shop led to this career. So, was that just their gimmick? Was just that halfway through the show, he just tears down every stage they're on? I, I would like that, where it's like... That would oh, be kind of funny. It's like all these precious uh, works of art. Oh, no, here comes Jack Carson. You know, like, I, 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 here I go again. I don't know. Like, I like that. 
I would have liked this episode a lot better if he just started destroying cars left and right. <laughs> like falling over. Uh, yeah. That would have been perfect. That would have saved this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so next up, we have George Chandler, who plays the old man. Uh, this guy, 459 credits right? to his name. One going for every all the year that he was alive. Yeah, that's <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he did live for a very long time. Uh, worked for a very long time as well. Uh, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. He had a big reoccurring col- uh, role on Lassie. Uh, one of his bigger movie roles I wrote down just because we'll have some other Clint Eastwood references later on. Uh, Every Which Way But Loose. And then he was also a vaudeville actor. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he w- yeah. for the, the three seconds he was around, he was fine. Uh, it's just uh, he's he's got an important role on it. So he does. I, I threw yeah. him up to second billing on here. So. <laughs> um, next up, we have Loring Smith, who plays uh, quote unquote honest Luther Grimley. Uh, I couldn't really find much about him, but he was in one other Twilight Zone episode that we have yet to get to. Yeah, that's all I had about him. That's that's yeah. it. Other yeah. than he could mug like a mofo with the oh, there's mouth. there's a turnaround in this episode that's legendary uh, <laughs> <laughs> next up we have art johnson who play or artie johnson who plays irv uh his biggest roles were general hospital he was a panelist on the hollywood squares for like 90 episodes um so that's probably why he looked a little familiar well uh, he, he actually not to steal your thunder he was on sure. rowan and martin's laugh-in as the German sh- soldier that they would cut to sometimes where he would, <laughs> and I'm going to screw this up. So forgive me. This is not my generation. Yeah. Who would be like very interesting, but stupid. You know, that would be that guy. Uh, that was him. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't really familiar with that show, but I've heard that like that thing has kind of made its way into pop culture. Um, he was in one episode of the night gallery a uh, few interesting things. He did a lot of cartoon voice uh, voice work, and uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo. <laughs> I know, I remember that show when it was on Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, but yeah, he had a pretty uh, big reoccurring voice uh, role on that. And then he was also in a terrible movie, but uh, I, I like the director. He's kind of a trash cinema director. Fred Olen Ray's Evil Tunes. Hmm. Which is a kind of sleazy, uh, weird horror cartoon mixed with uh, uh, live action. Is it a sequel film. to Cool World? No, but it's kind of <laughs> that vibe. Uh, it's it, but it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, well, I see that he was also in a movie. I had to. I wanted to make note: 1995's Assault of the Party Nerds Two, the Heavy Petting Detective. So I must admit, I must have missed the first one. <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, I feel like if I watch this one, I want to be lost because like I don't know what happened in the first assault of the party nerds. So I feel like there there's just some there's a lot of questions I would have about this film. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll mention only only Twilight Zone appearance again. And uh, he was also in love at first bite. So we'll jump on. We got we'll blow through the next three because they're pretty small roles. Um, we have Jack Ging who plays the young man. Uh, he was in High Plains Drifter and Play Misty for me, also with Clint Eastwood. Uh, only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, his his probably his biggest role was the show that I'm unfamiliar with called The Eleventh Hour. And then I wanted to mention there's a uh, snake horror film called S- <laughs> just like five S's, 
which is one of my favorite titles of uh, all time. Movie's okay. Uh, it came on a, I think it was like a four pack with like Phantasm 2, like a good like six or seven years ago. So I got that just trying to get a copy of Phantasm 2 when that was harder to find. I hope um, I hope when that movie came out that someone like 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 Ebert was like 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 sucks. I hope that was like I hope that was the review like the one word <laughs> review of that film. That would be amazing. I'd be surprised if Ebert even caught wind of that movie. <laughs> so that yeah. would be more of a shock to me. Yeah, and I uh, saw that uh, Jack Ging was also in Hang 'Em High. So I feel like because he was oh, on, he, he, he was on Gunsmoke like briefly. So I have a feeling that's probably where he met Eastwood and somehow yeah. he just ended up in a lot of his productions, which I, I, it sounds like you've seen play Misty for me. I've not seen that film. That sounds really interesting. Like I actually kind of yeah, want to see it's, that. It's very, very good. I'm a big fan of that one. Um, I think Best Buy has it for like seven bucks right now too on Blu-ray. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, so last two, we have Patrick Westwood who plays the, uh, a translator of sorts. I'm not going to spoil that. <laughs> um, he was in an episode of Hawaii and I, so I want to bring that up. Yes. And one of my favorites, Roger Corman's pit in the pendulum. Yep. That's all I, that's all I had for that too. Cause I figured you were going to hit him, yeah. but I made a note. I just, I love that version of pit and pendulum. So I, I want to bring that up. And then lastly, as uh, Jack King's uh, girlfriend, wife, whatever, uh, playing young woman we have nan peterson who the only reason i want to bring her up she was also in walking distance mm-hmm. and more recently night of the meek she was the girl at the bar and i couldn't remember if we brought her up but i figured might as well not too many people in this it's interesting that she was in another uh videotaped episode so you could tell like <laughs> maybe it was just one of those things where it's like you know because the 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 six video episodes were all done back to back to back to back, right? So maybe it was just a matter of like, hey, can you stick around to do this one too? Which is fine. I mean, you get work when you can get it, right? So that probably yeah. explained like why she was here. Yeah. And she her name was Nan. So I'm sure Sterling's like, nope, got to bring her in. Got to bring her in because I have already had, you know, the, <laughs> we need all the Nans. All the Nans. So there you go. Right. Yeah, that's all I have. So, and also, yep. there was a bit of trivia about the guy who played the premiere, uh, Lee Sabinson, how he was actually blacklisted in Hollywood for being a supposed like communist sympathizer. So it's interesting the character he plays, knowing that he was blacklisted. Yeah, very interesting. Um, not that you really ever see him in this, but no, that's no. okay. Yeah. So, all right, that, that, that's that's your cast, that's your crew. Let's uh, let's get to Serling talking about this amazing episode. This, as the banner already has proclaimed, is Mr. Harvey Honeycutt, an expert on commerce and con jobs, a brash, bright, and larceny loaded wheeler and dealer who, when the good Lord passed out of conscience, must have gone for a beer and missed out. And these are a couple of other characters in our story. A little old man in a Model A car, but not just any old man and not just any Model A. There's something very special about the both of them. As a matter of fact, in just a few moments, they'll give Harvey Honeycutt something that he's never experienced before. Through the good offices of a little magic, they will unload on Mr. Honeycutt the absolute necessity to tell the truth. Exactly where they come from is conjectural. But as to where they're heading for this, we know. Because all of them and you are on the threshold of the Twilight Zone. All right, Rod, you saved the rest of the episode for us. Thank you. Like, I feel like <laughs> that was like almost a minute of him talking. And I and I feel bad because I, I you could tell that he's reaching just to, to, con, to get this episode across, you know? And that's what it felt like is like if you have Rod telling you everything that's going on in the episode, this is probably a warning sign. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's jump in. <laughs> right. So let, let's, let me just say it's never a good sign as well when the episode starts with a bunch of stock footage and music. That's and, that. yeah. I was going to say it's all stock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially coming off last weekend, which my ringtone is still the music from last episode. It's such good I was music. So let down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we open up on a used car lot. We get a neon sign that says used cars and get the stock footage of a car lot. And then we immediately go to a cheap looking uh, studio soundstage used car lot. <laughs> so we we meet uh, Harvey Honeycutt, who is a uh, used car salesman trying to uh, pretty much saying whatever he needs to say to get the sale, trying to, you know, uh, Rod sets it up. He's he's more of a con man than a salesman. Yeah, I, I do like. I will say that his, if you notice his outfit, like his jacket, his vest, and his tie, are all very visually different patterns and colors. I mean, it's a black and white show, but it's so garish with the patterns that you get. Like he is the used car salesman. Like this, he is like they're they're, they're stereotypes. And then they're like their stereotypes of the capital S. That's who he is. Yeah. So I, I like uh, I'm going to say something nice about this episode here. Uh, so <laughs> he, you see him and he's looking over at there's a young couple browsing around the car lot and he's smoking a cigar and he looks at him and then pulls the cigar out of his mouth, looks at it and decides to put it down before going to talk to them. And uh, I kind of appreciate that little moment there. Yeah. And, he walks over to him and they're like, yeah, we're just looking. We're just looking kind of looking for a new car. You don't really have any of the later models. And, uh, he's like, ah, no, 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 you don't, you don't want one of those. You want an older car. These are when they were makes, they used to make them right. They used to make these stronger. And, uh, he kicks the bumper and one of the bumpers falls off, kind of covers it up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, after he, he talks to them and everything, you see an old man, gets introduced and that's when we get Serling's intro and you pan over to Serling standing by the door of the office. <laughs> yeah. So my question for you, and I wrote this down, I was like, was Serling standing by the used car lots office? Do you feel like he's trying to pressure us into buying this episode's concept? Do you feel oh. like, you know, like, <laughs> like, I, uh, do you feel like he's just like, I mean, I, this so far, the season has been fun with where he shows up and it's like, this is, it's a used car lot. Like, where would you expect him to be other than like behind the wheel of a car or him Should popping up the passenger seat of the old man's haunted car? <laughs> yeah. Oh, jumping ahead. Sorry. Or, or, or him like popping up like from a hood, like, you know, like they open the hood and he just stands up and he's talking. That, <laughs> that would have fit with the uh, atmosphere of this episode. <laughs> that would have been fun. Right. Um, you know, so, but it, like, so him being there, it's fine, but it's like him standing by the used car, like office. I kept thinking he's trying to sell us on this. And, but then to, to give him, to, to give a little bit of credit to Sterling, his goal, every single episode is to sell us on this. Right. So That's true. I can't, That's true. I can't fault him. I will fault him later though. So please continue. And he almost smiles during his, uh, <laughs> his introduction. Almost. Yeah. Almost. Um, so yeah, uh, he tells the couple like, Oh, why don't you take a seat in this car? Just check it out. And I love that. He says the car needs a bottle of wine to go with it. <laughs> Cause it's like when you're in it. And I was like, ah, yeah, times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just sitting there with a bottle of wine. Perfect. Uh, so he goes over to the old man and he's trying to sell him this car. And he first offers him like 15 bucks and the, uh, 
he's he's telling the old man the exact opposite of what he told the young couple that like oh no it's all about new cars now no one wants these old ones i can't give you much for this and he's like you know you remind me of my grandpa uh, i'll give you 25 for it so the old man's like well maybe 30 and he's like Nope, here's 25. Go in the office, sign the papers, we're done. <laughs> I, I liked how he walked around. I liked how Honeycutt walked around the car and then went to, like, wh- whatever. I, I know it's not a trunk, but it's it was, like, the 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 box on the back of this car. Because it was an old, older, like, 1930s-something. It had to be, right? Like, Yeah. And he opened, the like, the, the box in the back and laughed and then closed it. And he was like, eh, maybe, maybe I could, like, sell this for scrap. And it's like... Honestly, though, it was the best looking car of all the cars we saw there. Like, it was weird yeah. how, like, the, you almost expect to see ZZ Top walk out of this car. Like, it was a really sharp looking car. And he's like, I'll give you $25. I'm like, it is a different time we live in where someone's like, yeah, $25 for a car. That's a good, that's a good call. Like, I yeah. just, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a sharp looking vehicle. But then the guy's like, yeah, I guess, like, I guess I need the money. Like, how hard up are you if you need $25? I, I don't know well, what it is back in 1960. Well, you, fi- you find out why he took the $25. That, that, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So, so yeah, you see Harvey, he finds a little bit of wire in a box next to the office and he walks back over to the car that the couple's looking at and he ties the bumper back on in the back and puts a like new sign on the old man's car too. I, I like how the the younger couple's kind of an afterthought for like a few minutes as he's like he's like shucking and jiving the other guy. Which which that is exactly how that works when you go to a car lot where it's like you're looking and all of a sudden your salesman's gone for twenty minutes. You don't know what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, after he buys the car for him, the old man now tells Hanukkah that the car is haunted. And you know it Honeycutt's just kind of talk to him like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just finish signing the papers and get out of here, you know? And he asks him like, how do I unhaunt this? And he says, the only way to unhaunt it is to sell the car to someone else. Yeah. I feel so, like if a car is haunted, that should add value to the car though. You know, kind of like, Hey, it's a value added. This thing is haunted. Not every car is haunted. That's at least $5 more. Yeah. But, I yeah. would, I would definitely stop at a car lot that said haunted cars on the sign. <laughs> I'd be I like, oh, that. Halloween <laughs> sale special. I'm coming in. <laughs> like, like, what if it was like a geo tracker? It's like, oh, that's a shitty geo tracker. Oh, it's haunted. Now you have my interest. Like, what would that? <laughs> I guess that's all it takes. I like it. <laughs> I did buy a house with a cemetery in the backyard, and that was the main selling point. It's like, oh, a cemetery. Well, I mean, at, at least the neighbors are quiet, right? That's the whole goal. That's right? that's what I told. That's why I tell everyone. Yeah. So. Um, Anyway. Yeah, so he ends up buying the car from the old man. He leaves. He's happy. Um, and then he goes out to the back to the couple, and he immediately tells them that the car they were just looking at is not for sale. And you see a confused look on his face and um, tells the couple that he has no cars that are worthwhile to show them. And they kind of leave confused and kind of angry. But I don't think I would be angry at a car dealer if he was like, you know what? All of my cars suck. Like, you should shop somewhere else. I will give credit to Jack Carson. His his delivery of him saying the lines and the look on his face of disbelief as he's saying it is actually really good. I like. Yeah, the, it's it's a pretty quick change. Yeah. So pulling that off believably would be incredibly difficult for an actor. I would assume. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do it. So yeah, he he does a good job with it. Uh, best he can. <laughs> How well, about that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, the, okay. So the script isn't great. 
and we're going to get we're going to get to why later but i feel like his performance isn't isn't the biggest problem like it, it's not the problem like he actually leans into being honeycut and you get like the whole skeezy car salesman bit but i like the whole like his eyes and his eyebrows have this look of doubt of like what am i telling these people as he's saying it and it's it's just, it's actually it, it, that part's actually really funny. I don't need the goofy soundtrack and everything else going on with it. His yeah, reaction well, they, alone is is worth it. They rely on the certain musical cue slash sound. I don't I don't really know what it is. Yeah, uh, it, it's more so a sound than a music cue. Uh, every time he's telling the truth and he's confused, it, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, we need that mystical sound. Yeah. You know, just to let you know something weird's going on. And I think, like you said, they rely a little bit too heavy on that when you totally get what's going on just by his reaction. Um, yeah, so it, he ends up, he looks at the haunted car, maybe thinking like, oh, maybe that could be doing it. So <laughs> then we cut to him in the office and his assistant, Irv, comes back. And he's, he starts telling him like, hey, when you set the cars outside, make sure you close the hoods. We, we got to hide these rusty engines. And uh, so he's looking and he sees the haunted car again and immediately kind of changes tune and says, uh, you know, what? just print a sign out that says as is no guarantees <laughs> on it. Just put it on the car. And you can see Irv just like, uh, you know, like, like, what we, are you if doing? we can't do that, we're not going to sell any cars doing that. Yeah. So what did what did uh, uh, Jack Carson, what did uh, Honeycutt call? the gentleman that sold his car. Did you pay attention to that? When he was like being exasperated about the car, did you catch what he called the old man? I I heard it as old glebe. Gleep. He called him a gleep. It was a gleep? He called him it a gleep like twice. It sounded like he said gleep this time. I, well, I was pretty sure he said gleep, which that's a tie back to uh, yeah. Nervous Man in a $4 Room. And as we all know, <laughs> gleep is something that you should not look up one on uh, Urban Dictionary. Yeah. And I was like, what no, does that mean? I couldn't tell if he was saying gleep or gleeb this well, time. But maybe he said gleeb, yeah. but I want to believe he said gleep. That old gleep. He had to have said gleep, though. <laughs> that old gentleman that takes a poop in a bathtub and rolls around in it. <laughs> oh man yeah um oh where was i in the story now here we go the gleeping has got me all off track again i mean mean, you know it's you know it's it's what happens right like you start thinking about it and you can't unthink it so um you you get to i I, I, he you can tell the honeycuts like distressed because this car is compelling him to tell the truth and I'm not sure where the commercial break is, but then it comes back to him uh, in his office and Irv comes in. He's like, I got this new signs that you wanted. And again, this episode isn't great, but those signs are actually pretty funny. Like the, the new honest signs, like I forget exactly what they said. Actually, I can, I can find it. But he uh, he's showing Honeycutt the signs that uh, he asked for. And it's kind of funny that like Honeycutt was so compelled to tell his assistant to be like, yeah, you got to go. You got to go get those signs, you know, and I'll find what one of them said here in a second. Um, yeah. One said but in the, uh, not in dependable. The meantime, yeah. And oh, then, I'm sorry. No. Go so one said not dependable for sure. And yeah, that's that's one of them. And then there's one later, but it's great. He's just holding up a sign. It's very like exaggerated, like not dependable. Like, yeah, I want to buy that car. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's the way that that actor presents them because he kind of like shows them one at a time to him. Yes. Um, yeah. 
It's true. Yeah, it's funny. But in the meantime, he calls his wife and he starts telling her he's going to be late due to uh, inventory that night. And then immediately tells her the truth that he's actually going to be going and playing poker at his buddy's house. <laughs> and then tells her immediately after that, that in the past couple times he's told her that he was working late. He went and played poker. <laughs> he says that so, three times to her. And he's like, oh, I meant to say I'm playing cards with the boys. And again, Carson's <laughs> delivery of that line where he's like, what am I telling my wife? Is, is It's it's good. I, I like that. Yeah. So I, I there was a line, too. I'm not sure what point Irv says it, but he says, uh, you know, there's a limit to honesty. Yes. And uh, he's like, yeah, I used to think that, too. And, um, yeah, so Irv asks him for a raise and he gives him a bunch of, uh, uh, <laughs> terrible ways to say no. Um, I think one of them was you got a better chance of pouring hot butter into a bobcat's ear than yeah. getting a raise. <laughs> pouring hot butter into a wildcat's ear. Wildcat's yeah, that, yeah. ear. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, you know, this is hurting me a lot more than it's hurting you. And, uh, Irv's like, well, you know what? And just rears back and punches him. And so I got lays. that. <laughs> I got that punch noise. Explain to me, like I, you hear punches in TV shows and movies all the time. What is this? What what kind of punch noise is that? Maybe all they could find was like a pool, uh, <laughs> pool sounds. You know, that somebody was hitting a pool ball. I don't, I don't know. know. It was just like it was. It's the weakest sounding punch ever. Huh. Like. I, Irv didn't look like the strongest, strongest uh, gentleman there. So that's fair, but it was just more like uh, it's like in like Fight Club whenever um, uh, Ed Norton hits Brad Pitt for the first time and hits him in the ear and like not directly in the face, where it's like it doesn't connect all the way, and you're just like, that's not the strongest. Like, that's not the strongest punch, but it puts Honeycutt on the ground, and then um, and then as he's like knocked out, uh, Irv puts a sign on him. This is like not dependable or something to that effect. And that's it's 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 a funny sign to put on him, but that's a that's a that punch sequence. Like this director is probably going on to do other things. That was not that was not a well directed moment. Yeah, probably not many fight scenes in his uh, future directing career. He's like, listen, uh, Sterling's like, listen, I need to have a fight scene in a car lot in a dealership's office. You know, go. He's like, I have three of them, yeah, and none of them were good. Oddly <laughs> so specific, then- yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. So, it's, it's cool. Uh, then we introduce Luther Grimley, Honest Luther Grimley, the uh, politician, who uh, he tells him that uh, he basically tells him the truth about the haunted car and everything. And he's like, you know, this car is terrible. And the politician starts calling his bluff and th- well, thinking that he is just trying to use reverse psychology on him to sell the car. <laughs> Which I think is ridiculous for a car salesman to do, but whatever. Made sense to him at the time. So his reasoning of wanting to buy a cheap, terrible car um, was that it was good politics to drive an old car because it makes people think that you're not getting rich off of them. Which, honestly, that's like that's not a bad thought to kind of like if that's the, the, the presence that you're projecting of like, I got this old vehicle. I'm, I'm saving like every penny I have. I'm not going to spend your money that like, and, and I know it's a joke, but it's actually, that's, that's not the worst way to be. You know, if you, if you're trying to be a public servant, even though he knows he's playing the public, that's kind of a, kind of a, like a, like that's a tricky thing to do, you know? Yeah. It just seems like such an obvious place to go with this where it's just like, Oh, so we have an item that causes people to tell the truth. Like, obviously, we have to bring in a politician. Like, 
And then to get to the ending, it's just everything is so convenient from this point on. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So he offers him. Uh, he then offers him after hearing that the car is haunted and everything, uh, twenty five dollars, and then goes down to like twenty two fifty or something. <laughs> and he's like, when he tells him that the car, whoever owns it, has to tell the truth. That dude does the best turnaround I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Like I laugh so hard at his reaction when he turns, but uh, he pretty much says like I couldn't make a speech or run for office telling the truth. Like I can't buy this car, <laughs> so he ends up backing out. And uh, he's got a newspaper with him, and he's like, "Oh, you could sell it to this councilman. Oh, you could sell it to the mayor. That would be fun." And um, so they settle on someone in there. You get the idea that someone important. They're like, "Oh man, if you could, if you could sell." this car to that man it would be the greatest practical joke of all time yeah the greatest gag yeah yeah greatest gag of all time and uh so then we cut immediately to a uh, it's not necessarily a limousine but a really nice black car in the parking lot and we're talking to a russian translator who is buying the car off of harvey for 25 dollars and um yeah, it, I, and that's where we kind of get to the twist. <laughs> well, so the whole thing is like, so first, which I have a problem with that, that um, that he's not being honest, like 100% honest with the, the premier's aide, where the guy's like, well, I wonder why I'm doing this. He's like, don't question my motives. It's like that, that statement shouldn't wave away the curse of the car, but it does. Yeah. Um, the whole thing, he's like, well, if, if your associate um, buys this vehicle and then tells everybody this is exactly what Americans drive. It, the whole thing was to kind of show, like, look at how, look at these older junky cars that we all drive. America's much worse off, type of thing. It's kind of like the reverse uh, grape, grapes of wrath thing that Russia did, where mm-hmm. they decided to take that film overseas and show everybody, like, like, hey, this is what Americans are like, and they're like, well, Americans at least have cars, and they thought it was a good movie, you know. And the Russians like, that's not the point. Uh, yeah. so, like, so he's trying to sell like this is like th- this is the reality. So he's like, but I need your boss to sign the documents, not you, so I can hand this car off. And then you find out that um, that he goes in, you know, he he finalizes the documents. It's uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who is the I you know one of the the, the leaders of uh, of Russia at the time. I'm sure I'm going to screw up where he's at in the hierarchy, but he was the guy that uh, Kennedy went against. Uh, for the Cuban Missile Crisis, so he was still in power and a force to deal with, and somehow he was in America at the world's worst car lot to buy a car. I don't know how that yeah, happened. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. I just got a bunch of dead air, but caught oh. the end of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't saying Very anything convenient. important anyway, so it's fine. Go ahead. Khrushchev <laughs> bought the car. Yeah, uh, you still there? I am here. I'm telling nothing but okay. the truth the entire time, so we're good. All right, I'm I'm getting some weird weird sounds but all right it sounds like we're good now yeah very convenient that he ends up on this random used cars a car lot right at this time um yeah it's i oh god the end of this episode is terrible so yeah he he immediately goes into his office and calls and he's like can you put me through to jack kennedy please He's like, I have I have something important about our national security or whatever he says. Yeah, it's and like, that's it, right? So, yep, so that's it. The interesting thing about the ending is that this airs the same day that Kennedy is sworn in as president. So Sterling must have known that. 
so for him for him to call in and want to speak to Jack Kennedy is timely, and it's one of the few times where the current administration is referenced in the Twilight Zone. So that's kind of interesting, but not by much. It's kind of like, oh, that's kind of a wink towards yeah. what's going on. Um, it's it's a little interesting. It's it's a little interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a little interesting. So that's your episode. It's just it it is a uh, it's a one note joke that. Of a, of a used car salesman that couldn't tell a lie, but however, still used deception to get rid of the car, which that feels like a cheat to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and the closing narration, I'm trying to find the exact, uh, um, the exact, uh, line that Sterling says he's, he says something about, uh, find it hard to believe or something. I feel like, He's kind of winking at you like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know this twist is a little bit unbelievable, but just deal with it. (laughs) It's almost like he's apologizing. (laughs) I wrote, how fitting is it that as an episode about a lighting car salesman would be a lemon? Like, I feel like that's very like it it works as a meta joke, but it does not work as an episode. Yeah. 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 It just it's funny because this seems like such a little personal episode about one character's uh, character arc but it really doesn't have that ending it, like usually you have the character that learns something at the end of the episode you know and they're changed I feel like Harvey Honeycutt's going to go right back to selling used cars the way he always did Absolutely. after he gets rid of that car yeah. and I feel like there's no character arc for him in this No, and it's just, it, it's just not very exciting and he was spinning <laughs> he was spinning his selling of the truth telling car as he was doing a service for america and that feels unfortunately that feels very topical that a thing that was affecting him negatively in his job he's able to spin into a positive you know and it's like really yeah. you're coming out of this actually looking better than what you were going into this and it's supposed yeah. to be something that's supposed to put your feet to the fire and it's supposed to ruin you because of the life that you live, but you did not learn anything from it. Yeah, no punishment. Uh, but yeah, like it, it seemed like such a little small story just involving Harvey Hanukkah. And then it ends up in this huge scope out of nowhere at the end of the episode. It just feels very, very strange. Yeah, I just overall, like I was I was telling Kevin before we started recording, I had to watch this episode a second time to grab audio, make notes, blah, 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 blah. I despise this episode the second time I watched it. And it's like, and, 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 and it's funny because a friend of show, uh, uh, Steve King, who helps me, uh, he's uh, helping me on invasion of the podcast. Now he has been watching this with us and his, his least favorite show so far is the mighty Casey, which I think is Kevin's also least favorite show so far. This is, uh, well, it's up, there. It's, it's up there. Right. But I feel like this is in that hall of fame. Right. Cause I feel like, it is, I know you don't like the comedy episodes and I'm a little bit more forgiving, but something about the stock music where that weird flute noise that comes in with every single moment when something funny happens and how the music tries to overpower, like this is goofy, this is funny. And overall, there's no lesson learned. And then overall, Sterling tells you what's going on at the very beginning. It's just a very, it's a DOA episode from the very start and it's frustrating. Yeah. And it's repetitive. Like you get the same gag over and over. And like there's a few times like the stuff with his wife is definitely my favorite gag with him telling the truth. Yeah, that's funny. 
but you just get like the same situation over and over again until the end and yeah. it just it's boring like it, it honestly like this 20 minutes does not fly by and i usually say that these 20 minute episodes even when they're bad at least it's like they're 20 minutes and they kind of they go by quickly yeah this was uh it was just um kind of flat and you're right it was the same joke over and over again oh god we need to just start like <laughs> yeah uh but I mean, again, like there's nuggets of good idea in here. Like I, I like the idea of somebody being forced to tell the truth. And we've seen that. I, I don't know if you're a fan of Liar Liar with Jim Carrey, but I am. It, that, that's actually wow. it's effective because he's a lawyer and that directly affects his profession. Not that yeah, this doesn't. It's but, the same as this. Yeah, it does. He, I mean, yeah. he's a used car salesman who are notoriously shady and when used in storytelling, you know, Um and yeah. politicians so like they are professions where they do re- require a bit of uh lying you know so for better or worse so like it, it should work in theory but it's just i don't know there's just it's yeah it's a little too it's light not good here <laughs> it's a little too light for the twilight yeah. zone is what it is yeah. um so yeah the comedy never works and i don't think the shot on video on this one did it any favors no because at least like I've been pleasantly surprised with how the episodes have looked like the Christmas one. And uh, what was the one in the mansion? The lateness of um, the hour. Lateness of the hour. Yeah. Like I was pretty impressed with what they did with the shot on video stuff. This one feels cheap. Like it feels real cheap, which is unfortunate because it, it leans into the used car salesman aesthetic, but it shouldn't, you know, like, and it feels like, I don't know. Like everything's pointing towards this episode, kind of winking towards what it is, but it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, there's only so so much winking when the teleplay is 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 bad. You know, <laughs> like I said, it's repetitive. It doesn't work. It the twist comes out of nowhere. Uh, the character the characters aren't necessarily relatable or likable. Um, yeah, I I just it, it's hard. It's it's hard to get into it. So here here's the root of the story, and, and Kevin knows this already. But so so you guys find out um, that that when we talked about Mr. Beavis back in season season one, which was my most hated episode, that that Serling had planned for a series with Mr. Beavis, and one of the episodes of where he was a used car salesman, and then one was where the angel friend of his gave blessed him with the ability to speak the truth of twenty four hours. And Serling took both of those concepts and squished them together in this episode. And it makes me hate it more knowing that it was associated with Mr. Beavis. <laughs> yeah. And apparently I think with the telling the truth episode, of Mr. Be- Beavis, he had a segment with him coming face to face with Nikita Khrushchev. Oh, no. So <laughs> yeah, that also came from that. So he jammed like all these ideas that he had for an unused Mr. Beavis series and just put together this episode with them. Like I would have respected this episode more if they would have found that car from that episode and brought it in as the truth telling car. Like that, that would have been funny. That would have that actually connected been connected twilight zone universe. Yes. That would have been great. It's just that um, like, you could tell that like, I mean the idea of a used car salesman that has to tell the truth that that's entertaining, I guess it's fine. It's just, and, 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 um, you know, and, uh, Jack Carson's performance is fine. I really liked him as Honeycutt, and it just just but something about like 
nothing about this really worked, but I can't fault Jack Carson. No, he puts in a good enough performance. I didn't really, like I said, I didn't really relate to him or like him as a character, but his performance is fine. Like yeah. it's serviceable. It, he does what he can with it. So, but, um, <laughs> I just, I feel like if there was some sort of character arc to him, yeah, like there, if there was some sort of payoff with his character and maybe if it didn't take such a, like force fed, timely political stance, with like the anti-communist thing, like, oh yeah, we need to screw over the Russians, you know, because uh, anti-communism, <laughs> you know, like it just seems so forced at the end of this episode. Now, if they would have kept it maybe on a smaller scale or something, and had him have some sort of realization, like at least it would have fit within the Twilight Zone narrative, and at least there would have been a what I feel like a point to this episode, but. So there was he there didn't. was a sequence <laughs> that was written for this episode where they had Khrushchev that with his back to the camera, so he never saw his face, where the reporters were asking him questions after he bought the car, and he started giving honest answers where he you could see him visibly sweating as he can't control himself. And that was like kind of like the whole big like, you know, it was it was gonna be a bigger gag, like to quote them, of actually him actually answering honestly about questions that the, the the public was asking him in the US. Like, do you feel like that would have still been like too big for this episode? Because that was supposed to be the plan. Yes, and I think it would have played into my issue with this episode being repetitive as well. Yeah. Because then we would have just gotten the same gag all over again. Like, what if what if uh, him actually telling people like the honest truth about cars, it's like, listen, this is a piece of junk. I'll give it to you for $5. Everyone's like, you know what? I like I like that you told me this. Here's five dollars. Like, what if you find out that like he can't keep cars in stock because he's telling them exactly what's wrong with them, and people appreciate the honesty. Like, what if you would have like found out that like telling people exactly what they're getting is what they're getting, that would have caused him to actually find success, you know? And then someone comes along and wants to buy the car, and he's hesitant because that's that's the new honey cut. I think that would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly what this episode would have needed. To I don't think it would have been a classic. No, like I don't think that would have saved this, but uh, it at least would have felt like a tighter teleplay. <laughs> so I don't know if you have any other notes about this episode, but I got I have to tell a quick story that actually relates to used cars. So I did find something, and this is my own life. So you'll appreciate this. So my, yeah, my- I, I think I'm. I'm all through my notes. So. <laughs> uh, the music annoyed me the entire time. I'll say that I hated the music of this episode. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was bad it, yeah. stock music. It was, it was so bad. It was terrible. Yeah. So my dad, on a, on again off again, he loves cars. He really really does. Um, he actually fancies himself as a used car salesman. So he actually had when I was growing up. Uh, I was too young to remember this. I was like, you know, a couple years old, but my dad had a used car lot. It was called Stedman used auto. And I remember it vaguely as you do as a little kid, but my dad had a billboard, all that stuff. Right. And then it didn't, it didn't work out and he had to shut it down a couple years later, living in the house that we lived in our, um, our septic tank in our backyard started to collapse, which if you ever see that happening, it's terrifying because one day the, the, the ground's flat and then it starts like sinking in and sinking in and sinking in and then it breaks open and then it's a septic tank that's open to the air and it's disgusting, right? Uh, yeah. So, but while that was trying to get addressed, my mom was like, what could I put over top of this gaping sewer hole 
to keep the kids from falling into it, which I know you appreciate, and also to keep like for people just being disgusted by the smell. We happen to still have that billboard from Stebbin Used Auto that oh, my no. mom put over top of this gaping sewer hole. Oh. And, and so I always tell the story that my dad ran a used car lot and that one day that that sign would cover a sewage system and it kind of felt fitting, you know, so you could, you could say that he ran the used car dealership <laughs> into the, the ground. ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the oh, that, Stubman, Stubman used so auto billboard. Though. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, that business that didn't quite work out. That was your dream. Like, we're just going to use it to cover up the a literal, terrible hole in the back. A backyard. literal shithole. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's so depressing so yeah that was that that's my story and i feel like that's oddly appropriate for this episode so i wanted to share that yeah uh open septic tanks perfect uh perfect for this episode (laughs) yeah so there you go step and used auto didn't quite make it there it's always number two on the market so so yeah let's just let's just get to like like, there's another t-shirt idea My dad would be really sad about that if I actually happened. Where I'm like, hey, hey, dad, by the way, remember that time that you tried to be a car salesman and tried to sell cars? We, we made a joke about that, and now we have T-shirts. I don't know how he would feel about his uh, <laughs> yeah. his attempts at a dream. Eh, maybe we'll do it. Anyway, anyway, let's just get to the twist. I'm going to give a – this is a first for the show. I'm going to give this a zero for a twist. Oh, <laughs> Because it's just like, there's no twist. There is no twist in this episode. It's no, a zero. There, there's a twist. Okay, fine. Justify it. <laughs> put put a billboard over that shithole. Come on, bring it. The, uh, <laughs> the twist is that it's Nikita Khrushchev, I guess. <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. know. That it, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to give it a one. Because I didn't see the scope of this thing getting that big. And it, it it did surprise me. That's I fair. don't know if it was in a good way or not. I don't know if it worked. Well, I know it didn't work, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give it a one. I feel like a zero is just it's just too harsh. Okay, okay, fine. I'll give it a point five. I'll give it a point five. Cigarettes right. on an ashtray. I don't know what that means, it's, but yeah. it's there. Like it's sure. there, I guess. And okay. the fact that the car tells the truth. If he didn't spoil it in the beginning. Um, there is that slight twist in the beginning there when you find out that he has to tell the truth. So yeah, sure. One. Uh, fine. Then one. You're, you're more forgiving than I am. I do not like this episode. So I, I didn't either, but I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I'm not allowed to give it a zero. <laughs> that's like the episode didn't exist. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we could argue that it didn't. So that's fine. You know, we can. That's we can... true. It was a Mr. Beavis episode. It shouldn't have been in the Twilight Zone. How about that? <laughs> right. So there we go. So. All right. Um, so. Uh, so, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Join the conversation on there. You can also find us on Instagram. Strange Highways Podcast. You can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us voicemails or send us email, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, Let us know what your favorite episodes are. Let us know what you thought about the whole truth and give us nothing but that whole truth when you're talking about it. Um, You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Satchel Music Player, uh, pretty much anywhere you can find uh, podcasts. Podbean is our main site. Uh, Find us on there. You can subscribe to us, and it would really help us out if you would rate and review us on there as well. 
Yeah, don't give us a zero star review. That'd be terrible. I mean, I don't think it'll let you. No, that'd be <laughs> like pouring <laughs> that'd be like pouring hot butter into a wildcat's ear. That's what I gotta say about that. So uh, next week uh, we are hopefully going to uh, bump up in some quality of episodes. So it is the invaders. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll read what Sterling has to say about that. Then we'll have an announcement. Yeah. Um, so bear with me. I am I'm not going to do as well as Sterling, but I'll I'll try my best. Next week. We bring you a show called The Invaders, written by Mr. Richard Matheson. Yes. And in this room, you'll watch Miss Agnes Moorhead, an attention-filled attempt at escape from a pair of very improbable housebreakers. This one we recommend to the science fiction buffs, fantasy lovers, or anyone who wants to grip the edge of his or his, I'm going to say his or her, seat and take a 24-minute trip into the realm of terror. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh- a pretty well-renowned episode um, as fitting with our history on the show with these uh, more highly reviewed episodes, we're bringing on a guest. Yeah. So um, very excited. First time on the show, we're bringing in uh, our buddy, Jeremy from the atomic age media podcast. Uh, fantastic show. If you're a fan of Paul's other show invasion of the podcast, I highly recommend checking out atomic age media. Uh, they do a really well-produced show over there. Um, uh, Jeremy and his friend Martin do a fantastic job with it. Really funny guys. Um, and he's also on the Cabal Corner podcast, which uh, another really great group of guys. Uh, fantastic podcast. So check them out. He'll be on next week talking about this uh, hopefully great Matheson episode. I've not seen this one, so this will be fun. And I, you know you know me, I love Matheson, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, in the meantime, go check out his shows, and uh, hopefully you're caught up with ours too. Yeah. So, all right. So that will be us for the, they'll, they'll be us. That will do us till next week. So in the meantime, uh, I don't know. Don't, don't buy a car that makes you tell the truth, but at the same time, I feel like you should just feel that you are okay telling the truth regardless of the vehicle that you own. So if you have to buy an object that makes you tell the truth, then you should probably question your life. Yeah. And cool it with playing poker. Right. And just <laughs> like, I I'm, I'm playing cards with the guys over and over again. That's, that's okay. I'm I'm not a gambling man, so you won't catch me playing poker after hours. my wife isn't speaking to me. Would that that were your only worry, boss. You haven't moved a car off the lot in three days. I know. That old lady who came in yesterday afternoon to buy that old Auburn. I mean, let's level now. How do you start a sales pitch by telling the customer that if the car was one year older, Moses could have driven it across the Red Sea?